Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Academy. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, a generous gesture from the big cheese. Get on with it, Owen. I am Ash Versus. (laughs) (laughs) Caught me out with that one. This episode (laughs) aired on the 30th of September, 1993, and we've got Jewel, new number ones, the Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff are top of the pops with Boom, Shake the Room, and Harrison Ford is at the top of the box office with The Fugitive. I came home, there was a man in my house. He had an artificial arm. Are you saying that I killed my wife? Are you saying that I crushed her skull? And that I shot her. All right, ladies and gentlemen, listen up. We have a fugitive that's been on the run for 90 minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground, barring injury, is four miles an hour. That will give you a radius of six miles. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse farmhouse hen house outhouse or dog house in this area checkpoints will go up at 15 miles your fugitive's name is dr richard kimball now we'll talk about the fugitive next week but holy hell what a song boom shake the room is this is a song that has aged terribly and brilliantly at the same time. Yes, it is wonderfully 90s. And it's wonderfully 70s because it samples Funky Worm by the Ohio Players. This is peak Will Smith. And really, it's the point when his career has begun to turn around. Because he'd already partnered up with Jazzy Jeff and they were making money. They were making bank. And he was getting money and he was spending that money. And there was something he wasn't doing which was he wasn't paying his taxes. He spent the money, he spent the money, he owed the IRS nearly $3 million. 
dollars in tax. They took hold of his possessions, they docked part of his income, and by 1990, he was, to put it bluntly, NBC, being more of a vulture than a peacock, detected the fresh carcass on the floor and they scooped him up, signed him to a contract and built the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air around him. This did two things. One, it gave him income. It allowed him to start paying back that money he owed the IRS and you can bet your ass he paid taxes from that point on. But it also started to build up his acting career. The Fresh Prince also put eyes on Will Smith overseas. I mean, I remember The Fresh Prince airing on BBC Two. It was a staple of weeknight evenings, 6, 6.30 on BBC Two. That was mm-hmm. where you learned all about this guy whose life got flipped, turned upside down. I remember going into school one of the uh, the following day after the first time seeing it and telling uh, a girl that I liked, I watched this really funny show where the opening features uh, a guy who got a taxi from a man who smelt really bad. And I yelled to the cabbie, your home, smell you later. Because that's in the opening of the show. It's a very succinct summary of that of that opening. <laughs> but it also brought fresh attention to his partnership with Jazzy Jeff, and that's where we get Boom Shake the Room, which was released on July 20th, 1993. It was the second single from their fifth studio album together, Code Red, and it peaked at number 13 in the US, but over here in the UK, it topped the charts. It was a big, big hit over here. It was an interesting change of pace for the Fresh Prince as well, because Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff's gimmick was that they were family-friendly rappers. They were rap music that white kids in the suburbs could listen to as well as, you know, sort of like everyone else uh, in America, because he was family-friendly. He didn't cuss in his raps to sell records, as as Eminem would put it later on in life. He was just this cookie-cutter kind of guy that would do songs like, you know, parents just don't understand. He did a song about Nightmare on Elm Street, which, you know, is just like, there's a nightmare on my street. But rap was changing going into the early 90s, and his, his cookie-cutter image was kind of a bit of a detriment against him. So for this album, he and Jazzy Jeff tried to be harder edge. They tried to be the cool kids. And while it didn't massively work for them, it worked for them a heck of a lot over here. I'd say that this era of Will Smith was way more successful over in the UK than, than any of his other previous iterations. Um, helped in part as well by the TV show. But in the US, I don't think it particularly worked. I think a lot of people still saw him as like, you're just the fresh prince and you're just trying a bit hard now. I mean, certainly the album that this song was taken from, um, Code Red, it it entered the Billboard Top 200. It made it into the Top 100, but it kind of petered out in the mid-60s. It did well enough to be certified gold in America. And four singles did reach the charts. Yeah, I, I can only speak, obviously, like you, for the UK perspective, but Will Smith was everywhere for this album. Boom Shake the Room is the one that leaps to mind immediately, but it was definitely a big album overseas. And sadly... While Fresh Prince did bring more eyes to the career of Will Smith, it also marked the end of the partnership because Code Red was the last album at this point for Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Although Jazzy Jeff himself would make appearances in the Fresh Prince. Indeed. So he could get thrown out the house by Uncle Phil. You mean Shredder? 
I was going to go with the Shredder thing, yeah. But I'm fairly confident this is not the last we'll hear from Will Smith on this podcast because, you know what, his acting career is taking off. Uh, Men in Black, I think, is in our timeline. It must be. It's either directly in our timeline or it's going to be another what did we do in our summer holidays because, you know what, I know I went to see that movie at the cinema. Absolutely, yeah. Um, only two games to really cover as the new releases. Axley uh, gets its release, as does Shining Force 2. So not too much to dive into there. Ash, what's going on in the magazines? Well, big news in the network section, and something that I'm sure will delight at least one of our listeners, Nintendo have announced their 64-bit console. That seems nuts to me, that there's news of the N64 this early on in our time frame like i know we'll get it by you know season five six ish but it just seems wild that it's news of its arrival is coming this soon the playstation's out before it playstation's still in the future the 3do is coming out the saturn is a thing and the 32x but here's nintendo going no balls to your 32 bits we're going straight to 64 although i think it is fair to say at this point that this console is decidedly vaporware This does not exist as a box that you can realistically program for. And in fact, when you look at some of the first games that were put in arcades, because this wasn't just going to be a home console, there was the idea that Nintendo 64, or at this point the Ultra 64, would be a platform for the home and a platform for the arcade, powered by silicon graphics, by the people doing Terminator 2, The Abyss, Jurassic Park, and all this sort of stuff. But when you look at some of those games that were brought out in the arcade, particularly Cruise in USA, the bit on the side that said, Brought to you by Nintendo or Nintendo Ultra 64, it was, not to put too fine a point on it, a lie. Yeah. Cruise in USA existed before the deal with Nintendo. The hardware existed before the deal with Nintendo. But Nintendo were working on it. As the article says, Nintendo have got into business bed with Silicon Graphics, the company what made the software that made Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park to produce a... 64-bit risk processor-based MIPS technologies-powered 3D reality immersion... thing. (laughs) Okay. I mean, literally, that's what it says. It does have a thing. Yeah. And according to Nintendo, they're aiming to sell the machine in America for around $250. $250? Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see about that when the time comes. See, you say we'll see, and you know what? You're right. In the US, it was not released for $250. It was released for $199. Was it really that cheap? Yeah, they wanted to stick it to Sony and Sega because by the time this was released, the Saturn and the PlayStation had had their prices lowered to $199. I was going to say, I suppose they had to, really, because they were so far behind the pack. So, so far behind the pack by the time the 64 actually hit shelves. But realistically, it was going to be the same sort of situation as with Sony and Sega, where they may have dropped the price to $200, but you're going to spend $250 at least, because guess what? There was no game. There was no packing initially. You got a Nintendo 64 box, and then you had to get a game to go with it. And most people were going to go for Mario 64. But if they went for something else, if they went for something with multiplayer, then you got the initial joysticks and you could have up to four of those joypads. Mm-hmm. So amazingly, while Nintendo were wrong by saying $250 for this news article, it's not in the way that we would have thought. No. Now, while this episode we're about to talk about may come at the end of September, we're recording this at the beginning of November. And I forgot briefly what the 5th of november entailed yeah we both very much forgot this i only realized 
what date it was when I sat down just before we got onto a call with each other and I heard some fireworks go off outside my house and I suddenly thought, what date is it? Oh, we actually did not remember, remember the 5th of November. It's fireworks night, folks. So we are doing our best to work around the bangs and crackles in the background. And to be honest, if someone starts letting off large mortar rounds, we're just going to sit here and quietly drink our tea, waiting for them to finish. (laughs) But if you hear a thud or a bang in the background while we're talking, chances are it's someone's rocket going off. We've got some top-notch platform and beat-em-up action for you. Plus, a stonking celebrity challenge. It's time for some beat-em-up and platform action on this episode of Games Master. I was going to try and do a Dex impression, but I don't think I'm going to get there. Um, I think that was actually closer than previous attempts. Yeah, it is. Well, I wasn't trying. That's that's the key to it, really, is to not actually put any effort into it. I'm, I'm just going to stick to a Games Master. That's the best thing to do for a Dexter Fletcher. Um, yeah, platform beat-em-ups. This... Um, They've had themes, you know, on the episodes that we've done so far, but this one is the first time where it feels like they're not really trying with this theme. It's just like, we've got two challenges that are different, so we're just going to say it's a platform beat-em-up special. Not everything has to be special, but then again, they're really trying to make this new series sound special because they're aware they've lost Dominic Diamond, who was the face of the show, and that they've changed the format up. How many more specials we get will remain to be seen. I can safely say with the notes I've prepared, it's a term that's going to stick around for a while. <laughs> I was going to say, I think we're going to be here until we get to the uh, the tag team stuff. But not only do we have some beat-em-up platformer action, we've apparently got a stonking celebrity challenge. Yes, a stonking celebrity challenge that just follows on from the last one. Yeah. I mean, did they know <laughs> that when they were recording it, though? They must have done, surely. Because last week's episode does introduce the fact that they are doing a clay fighter tournament. I don't know. But either way, there's a celebrity challenge. There's a celebrity challenge coming up. But before we get to that, we've got our first challenge to do. What are we playing, Games Master? My first challenge tonight is Mr. Nuts on the Super Nintendo. A rather delightful little platform game set in the great outdoors. Our contestants have to run through the opening level in the fastest time possible, avoiding the perils set by dear old Mother Nature. As I'm in a good mood today... I think I'll give each contestant three hits before they meet their maker. Oh, it is a rather delightful little platform game. I feel like we've talked about Mr. Nuts quite a bit because there was a massive feature on it in the first issue of Games Master magazine. I actually played a bit of it in preparation for that magazine. I don't know why, but I always confuse this game and its sequel with Conker. Okay, because they're both, you know, squirrels, I guess. And also, Conker's Bad Thursday. Conker is an obnoxious foul-mouthed squirrel. And Mr. Nuts has a name that sounds kind of genitalia-ish mm-hmm. like nuts testicles yeah, essentially yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they are quite different because conker's bad fur day was rare yes this is ocean yeah this is movie tie-in licensed shovelware ocean if you bought a movie tie-in in the 8-bit to 16-bit computer era chances are before the title screen the logo for ocean came up and it's an iconic logo and i still need to get the t-shirt with it on and it's a game that is it's a very standard platform it looks very lovely i will say that i think the graphics on it are really really nice and the animation's very smooth but it is a fairly standard platform game the one thing that jumped out to me here though from games master's introduction is that he says that he's in a good mood and is giving everyone three hits to kind of get you started but that's not really a thing. That's just your health bar. That's not Games Master giving you three hits. 
has the game that has given you three hits. I suppose from an exposition point of view, it does explain quite neatly three hits and you're dead. Yeah. It's just weird that it's Games Master that says that I'm gifting this to you because he's in a good mood. I mean, I, I, you know, it's not like a deal breaker or anything. I just it just really stuck out to me. This is this is the thing. This is the thing that broke the camel's back. This is your moment where you're just like, <laughs> nope, it's not Dexter. It's the Games Master bullshitting his way through something that's just a simple game mechanic. I'm done. I'm out. And I don't know. I'm going to have to find a new co-host, probably. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> this show, I'm done with it. I mean, I can just go to one of your other co-workers, Laurie. Laurie seems available. That'll be fine. <laughs> oh, well, a generous gesture there from the big cheese. Oh, do get on with it, Fletcher. Sorry about that, Governor. Okay, let's have a big hand for our first three contestants. We've got Alistair MacDonald from Warwick. We've got Tom Jenkins from Worcester. And Amber Grigg from Kent. Come on! Quiet, quiet, quiet. Come on. All right, Alistair. How you doing? All right, thanks. So, uh, have you got a computer at home? Yeah, I've got Sega Mega Drive. You've got a Sega Mega Drive? So, quite good? Mm, all right, yeah. Yeah, okay then. What about you, Tom? Have you got a computer at home? Yes. You have? How do you fancy your chances tonight? Do you think you're going to win? Yeah. Yeah, you are, aren't you? Of course you are. Okay, good. What about you, Amber? How do you fancy your chances? I'll win. You'll win? Yeah. <laughs> Amber's got a fan club in tonight, haven't you, Amber? We've got Alistair MacDonald from Warwick, Tom Jenkins from Worcester, and Amber Grigg from Kent. Uh, and they all run down the gangway to the stairs. And when we got off the interview with, with uh, Daniel Pessina, he, we were just sort of chatting and stuff. And then one of the things that he did mention is that that gangway was really scary because it was really quite high up. And he said, like, it didn't feel particularly safe and secure. And then you think about all those kids that are standing on it. And then you see these kids who are just pelting their way down it. I was like, man, they've got no fear because bloody Johnny Cage was terrified of these stairs. I mean, obviously this was and will be again a functioning prison. So it must have passed some form of health and safety and structural integrity inspection. But when they did that inspection, did they go, yeah, that'll stand up to a couple of hundred kids all stamping and cheering? I reckon not. But the <laughs> yeah. thing is, when you're a kid, stuff like that doesn't seem scary. It's like the rope swing at the park or slides or climbing frames back when yeah. they were still a thing. You don't see climbing frames nowadays. No. They don't have those kind of massive metal climbing frames you used to have that would be like built to look like a JCB or a tractor. Mm. And that if you fell from the top, you would, one, go about eight to ten foot to the ground and two, probably break at least three limbs on other metal bars on the way. And yet somehow, just get right back up and go all the way to the top again. Ooh, skinned knee, fractured arm. <laughs> and I see you, Alice has got a mega drive, so he thinks he's going to be all right. But Tom here, this little tiny lad is so, so shy. He is He's definitely the shyest kid we've had so far. The one note I had is he reminded me of the yeah kid. Yes. Yeah. He just says, yeah, 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 I'm going to, yeah. like, you know, De Dexter, the, the, the consummate professional that he is, feeding him the line, do you think you're going to win? Yeah, 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 of course you are, of course you are. Amber, on the other hand, clearly has her family and friends with her. Holy shit, she's got a crowd. <laughs> the crowd are behind her, and it says it looks like a fan club is in. But for this challenge, the two with the fastest time goes through to the final, and they're the ones that will compete for the Games Master Golden Joystick. With me in the comments box today is Dave Perry of Mega Power Magazine. Now, Dave, how are you? All right? All right. Good stuff. Now, um, this looks like a bit of a cutie-wootie game, really, doesn't it? Oh, uh, no, no. It's a jungle out there. There are vicious uh, blueberries. There are huge caterpillar monsters. Yeah. And there are giant bees. And they all want to do Mr. Nuts some serious damage. 
So it's a battle for survival as well as a race against time. Okay, so it's a real jungle out there. And what can they do then to speed themselves up? They've got to get through in a fast. Well, the secret, time. the secret on this is when they jump on the bad guys, they want to just uh, press the jump button again and flick themselves off them. They get an extra, extra powerful right. jump. Then propels them a bit. That's more. right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Keep the momentum going. Now. This has been a bit of a, a contentious debate that we've had across this show, and we haven't formally decided upon when it is. But is this the final form of Dave Perry? Because Dave Perry here is in a black tank top, and he's got his US flag bandana on. Is this, are we going to say that this is the final form of Dave Perry, or is there still another step in his evolutionary chain? I kind of looked to Batman for this, and I bet you, you weren't expecting me to say that. <laughs> Batman was out and doing his thing and going around and punching criminals and what, and he got his emblem. But was he Batman before he said, I'm Batman, or before he actually gave a name? Same with Superman, same with Spider-Man. As the outside observer, we know that they're Batman, Spider-Man or Superman because it's the name on the marquee. And retrospectively looking at this, we know that this is the game's animal, Dave Perry. But can we, in the actual timeline, say this is the game's animal until he is introduced as the game's animal? That's a very, very interesting concept. Because by that, I, I wonder then if we're going to be waiting till series four, maybe. Maybe even later on than that before he becomes game's animal, Dave Perry. Or at least, you know, it's a, to the outside world as the game's animal. One thing I can tell you is the first time he is referred to as Games Animal on the show, we're having a fucking party because we've been waiting for it. It could be this season, it could be next season, it could be the season after. What if it never happens? What if he's never called the Games Animal on the show and that's our own personal fireworks factory? Fireworks factory! That we're always just waiting for it to arrive. Then the cake will go to waste, Luke. The cake will go to waste. <laughs> Anyway, he says that this is a far from a cutie game. It's a jungle out there. There's blueberries and bees that you've got to watch out for. Uh, and basically, points out that you only want to do is when you jump, you want to jump again off a baddie because that propels you forward. I don't know about you, Luke, but when I think of the jungle, it's always blueberries that give me the shitting fear. Never mind the lions oh, and the yeah. tigers and the snakes and the spiders. Blueberries. That's what you want to worry about, mate. Amber is up first and she knows how to use this speed. Like she takes a hit, she like and she takes a hit towards the end of the level, but she absolutely powers her way through this. Knows exactly what she needs to do to get to the end and she does it in an impressively 24 seconds. My entire notes on this were she takes two hits but makes it through the level in 24 seconds. Fuck me, there are a lot of blueberries. <laughs> there are yeah, there are a lot of blueberries and a lot of buggers as well. Tom Little shy Tom Thumb, on the other hand, doesn't really know how to use the sort of the speed boost. And he is a lot more of a cautious player. I'm very, very glad that he made it through the level. I'm really, really thrilled that he made it through the level because it would have been heartbreaking if he'd have died. But, you know, he doesn't take a hit at all. But that's because he is a lot slower and he's a lot more cautious and he takes his time and it's 30 seconds. And as soon as, you know, he got that 30 second mark i thought man alistair is gonna have to fuck this up something royal in order not to get through to the final and unsurprisingly partly because alistair knows how to use the run button he goes at a blinding speed not only does he make it in under 30 seconds he's actually the fastest time he comes in at 22 seconds and he doesn't take a hit until the last third of the level he's yeah. good at this he's really happy as we go into the post game oh, 
Tommy, you didn't quite make it. You'll be up. Shut up, stupid. Do you want to fight, mate? No. All right, then, watch it, sunshine. Well, anyway, commiserations. Amber, you just squeezed through there. Pleased about that? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to do all right in the final? Yeah, I'm going to give it my best shot. Good girl, nice one. So, Alistair, here's the man. 22 seconds. Yeah, I just timed the jump right and got a game. Yeah, good stuff. You did indeed. It was very fast time. And we said last week that Shirag um, had a scriptwriter for him to kind of like feed him, you know, the joystick waggler stuff. I would put money on that someone told Tom to tell Dexter to shut up and call him stupid. Here we are, Luke. We're four episodes into a brand new era of Games Master, brand new host Dexter Fletcher. And my note says, at this point, Dexter Fletcher asks a child if he wants a fight. (laughs) (laughs) Dominic was very conflict avoidant. Dexter is ready to go outside and punch a child. I mean, he did call him stupid and told him to shut up. I'm still in two minds. We've talked about this off mic. I can't tell if he was fed the line or if it's something an older sibling had said or something he'd heard and he just thought, I don't like what he's saying. I know what I'll say. And he kind of half bottled it. He was just like a kid repeating something he'd heard someone older say, whether intentional or otherwise, just went, shut up, stupid. So yeah, whether or not it was an older sibling that had told him to say it on TV, or if it was just Rick Henderson just giving him a little nudge being like, oh yeah, Dave Perry's in like, oh, you know, when you go up there, tell him to shut up and call him stupid. I, I, but I also think that I, I think Dexter was also aware of it. Like I think they told Dexter, "This kid's going to tell you to shut up." So you know, to play off that a little bit. I oh, see. I've just come up with a new conspiracy theory while you've been saying that. Have you seen the documentary on the 1990s Doctor Moreau? Uh, oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The bit where the original director who'd been fired yes. snuck back into the set dressed as one of the creatures, and now I'm wondering: Did Dominic Diamond sneak <laughs> back onto the set as a security guard? <laughs> and just as this kid was going past saying, hey, kid, when you're out there, tell him to shut up, stupid, and then ran away. <laughs> Little cheeky chappy that he is. But what I really like about these three, uh, you know, particularly Amber and Alistair as they're going through into the final, is that this is the first episode we see where we haven't had a mouthy kid. We haven't had an Akbar. We haven't had a Shirag. We haven't had sort of the uh, the English football team who were making their excuses or the, the Scottish football team getting a bit leery talking about this, that and the other. These are just three nice kids who wanted a nice little day out. They played their fun little platforming game and then they're going to do a little bit of a boxing game later on and they're just here for a nice time. They're just going to try their best. It's not the highest stakes challenge that we've had, but I'm looking forward to seeing how this challenge pans out. I reckon it could be fun. Jump into your flashy Lamborghini and put pedal to the metal in this all-action race across the States for big money prizes. Challenge is an illegal road race that's going to take you through several American states, uh, trying to avoid prosecution by the police and also racing other illegal road races. All right? It's fast, it's furious, it's tasty. You can bet on your own performance in the races, and this adds a bit of tension that actually makes you care about how you're doing in the game. It's got incredibly smooth scrolling, wonderful graphics, and the car sprites are amazing. This is definitely the choice for Game Boy racers. Into the reviews, we've got Brad Burton from Over the Edge, Dave Perry from Mega Power, and Frank O'Connor from Total. And first up on the review board, it's Lamborghini American Challenge on the Game Boy. Bloody hell, this looks like a lovely little Game Boy game. Graphics on this are great. 
It is a great game. It's actually held up fairly well. It's technically a reskin slash upgrade to the third game in the Crazy Cars series, but they gave it the Lamborghini license. They gave it a Jazz Fusion soundtrack and they kind of beefed it up and also threw in a two-player mode at the same time. It wasn't just restricted to the Game Boy. It also came out for the Super Nintendo, the Amiga CD32, the Atari, the Commodore 64, and some strange platform called PC-DOS. <laughs> Don't know if that will ever take off. But essentially, the object of the game is to end up the undisputed champion of a highly illegal street race through the entire United States. Essentially, this is Lamborghini-sponsored Cannonball Run. Yeah, and do you know what it is? It's fast, it's furious, it's tasty. It's tasty. It is very tasty. (laughs) This game is a Greg steak bake of a game. Oh, yes. Very, very nice. I like Dave talking about how, you know, you can put bets on the races, which makes you care about the the, the stakes of the race, which seems like a a fun little mechanic. It's a way of giving you an additional incentive to win the game, because if you've got your own money riding on your result, you're not just playing to win that section of the race. If you win that section of the race, you get more money. You can upgrade your car. You can buy boosts. You can do all that shtick. It's a really, really good little game mechanic. And I think the Game Boy may be my favourite version of this. It's the one I remember playing, certainly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like I bring this up whenever I possible, but Skitchin on the Mega Drive. Skitchin! That also had sort of like a money element to it that you got cash at the end of it if you needed to buy new bits of equipment. So like, I've never played Lamborghini American Challenge, but when I played Skitchin... You will get into a certain race and you're like, I need to finish at this above this point because I need this amount of money because I need to buy these skates at the end of it. Otherwise, I'm not going to get much further in the game. I have to applaud your ability to work skitching in at every conceivable angle. It's admirable. Thanks, mate. Pac-Man is back in a one or two player block dropping extravaganza. It's got over 50 levels and a special puzzle option. But did our judges welcome his return? I was weaned on Pac-Man, even from an early age. And to see him coming back, making a bit of a comeback nowadays, it's brilliant. It really is. It's so refreshing. If you play Tetris or Columns, you know what to expect. The blocks come down, you make shapes, you make lines, and blocks disappear. And you've got your little Pac-Man characters in there now, and all of a sudden a Pac-Man comes down and eats them. It's good fun. The graphics are lovely, the sound's nice and jolly. Very simplistic, and at the price, perhaps a little too expensive. But puzzle fans will love it. Up next, we got Pack Attack on the Super Nintendo. Brad bloody loved Pac-Man when he was a kid. This is really column slash Tetris with a Pac-Man flavour. Yeah, it was what Dave Perry says, yeah. But we're looking at the SNES version here. It also got a version for the Game Boy, the Game Gear, the Mega Drive, and the Philips CDI. I mean, when you think of CDI and those you know amazing graphics that we saw, sorry, I say amazing graphics, the best graphics I've ever seen. Got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. Uh, when we did International Tennis Open, you want a puzzle game like Pack Attack to be right next to it. See, we we are ribbing on the CDI and its claims. <laughs> yeah, and bit. guess what? You're going to get more ribbing on it as time goes on. But it does go to show that CDI was desperately trying to be taken seriously as a gaming platform because this wasn't some wonky Mario's Missing or weird crappy Zelda Mario's spin-off. Hotel or something like that, yeah. yeah. This was a Namco game. This was one of the big arcade names and it was going onto this Philips platform. Now, it was never going to be the most demanding game. Mm-hmm. But it was a recognisable franchise in Pac-Man. Absolutely, yeah. My favourite thing from this review, though, is Frank O'Connor says that, you know, it's good, but it might be too expensive for what it is. And the game gets 81%, which is a very good score. 
But right at the end, when they're giving all the details, it says price TBC. So how do you know how much it is, Frank, if Games Master themselves don't know how much it is? He may have just taken a guess going by what every other game costs. I mean, there wasn't that much variance in it. Maybe a Street Fighter's cost an extra tenner. But for the most part, new games, 40 to 50 quid. Dizzy is a puzzle-packed eight-level chase to rescue his girlfriend from the evil wizard Zax. How does it fare? It's your standard platform game with a few simple puzzles thrown in and a tiny little sprite. I mean, the guy's an egg. I mean, how interesting can that get? Because it actually separates itself from the rest of the field by introducing a sort of puzzle element. You've got to find things and place them in the right places to progress. The graphics are nice, the sound's nice, and there's a fairly hefty challenge there. Not bad at all, this one. Up next, it's Fantastic Dizzy on the Mega Drive. And when this came up, my first thought was, oh, I need to get in touch with Dave Ballmer from Sonic the Comic the Podcast and let him know that this got reviewed and Dave Perry was dead mean about it. So I sent Dave a message on Twitter and he got back to me. We had a bit of a chat about it. Then we decided, do you know what? You may as well just be our special Dizzy correspondent. So welcome back to Under Consultation, Dave Bulmer. Hello there. Yeah, my memory of the uh, event was that I basically told you I'm coming on the show to be a Dizzy correspondent. (laughs) (laughs) And here I am. Because, oh, it it grinds my gears whenever anybody's rude about Dizzy, you know. Yeah, well, that's what I thought, because you always bring Dizzy up at any possible opportunity (laughs) when you're doing uh, Sonic the Comic, the podcast. No, no, any opportunity, whether I'm doing a podcast or not. You are well qualified to be our Dizzy expert. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> nice. I typed that to Luke earlier and I've been waiting. I've been like, can I get it in now? Can I get it in now? There we See, go. Moment. Dizzy, Dizzy was doing the egg puns before Dr. Robotnik was. He was doing, he had excellent adventures and all that. Yeah, because the way that you put it was that like, yeah, in all fairness, Fantastic Dizzy on the Meg Drive isn't a great game. But mm. in order to appreciate Dizzy, you had to be there. Mm. So, uh... So is Dave Perry right in his review that it, it's, uh, you know, it's simple standards affairs? The guy's an egg. <laughs> I wouldn't have put it that way. That's a strange way to put it because it makes it sound like it's same old, same old. Actually, what was uh, wrong, if anything was wrong, with Fantastic Dizzy, um, and it's not my favourite Dizzy game as a Dizzy fan, is that it was just... I would have said too weird. See, at the, around about that time, Codemasters was trying to um, get a, a sort of a foot in the door of consoles more than they already had. And of course, they ended up, you know, they're, they're the foremost racing game making people um, even now. And that started very soon around this time. It might already have started with Micro Machines, whenever that was. Yeah, Micro Machines out by this point, yeah. So it looked, I think, to a lot of console gamers and console reporters that they were this weird upstart company who were essentially throwing poochies at the wall and trying to find some kind of mascot um, to make games out of. But that is not the proper context for Fantastic Dizzy. Fantastic Dizzy is more like the Sonic Mania to, to Sonic's Mega Drive era. It is a last hurrah. And essentially, this is a series that had already had its success finding its way out. And yes, it was trying to expand and find a new way in. And that was unsuccessful. But that's not the proper context. So Dizzy comes from the British home computers era which I'm sure has been discussed on this podcast before, uh, probably by me as well as you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that was the time when, well, basically we had such a 
such a strong um, identity with these computers in our country that when things like the NES came along, they kind of didn't get that much of a look in at first. You know, we, we just added them to the heap of possible things you could have. They didn't take over in the way they did in America. Yeah, we had the Spectrum, the C64, and those computers were very limited, even compared to the 8-bit like consoles. I think we call them 8-bit, but they, they look more primitive than the NES and the Master System. They, mm. They're really very limited in what they can do. But there were just a step above the really old things that really were just little beeping stick figures. And so they're in this strange in-betweeny land where they felt weird. They were strange. They were... Some of the visuals were a bit odd and off-putting and otherworldly, but also they were extremely chip shop, British, hopscotch, down-to-earth. That kind of feel. Now, I've done a video, which you can look up by googling Demon Tomato Dave, Dave's first game, in which I try and put across visually how it felt to look at ZX Spectrum graphics when they were new, because it was a different experience to what we did with graphics even like a couple of years later. They were very limited graphics, but you could tell what they were going for. The debate was on, on exactly what it was they were doing and exactly what the this or that character was supposed to look like. You could have actual arguments about this. You know, is that person supposed to have a moustache or is that just his mouth? And, you know, and of course, as kids, we would try and draw these characters and interpret them. A bit like how the, the, the Super Mario Brothers sprite of Mario is nowhere near as expressive of what he looks like than it was for Mario 2 or 3. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Dizzy came kind of at the tail end of that, and it was an, a, a sort of an evolution of that. It was almost a bridge between those two worlds. It was made by these two boys called the Oliver Twins, who were one of the many bedroom coders uh, who worked on the Spectrum, where literally kids would make games in their actual bedrooms in their parents' houses and send them in and, you know, if they were good enough, they could get published without any further polish, without nobody would do anything to them, just publish them. They'd already had success with a few other games for Codemasters, so they were established when they made Dizzy. They were kind of rising stars and what they decided to come up with was something where on the Spectrum, despite all of its limitations, oh, I keep saying on the Spectrum, for some reason it, it's not the Spectrum that's the native one. I think they made it on maybe the Amstrad. But anyway, in that limited field. They wanted to make something that felt like a cartoon. To look at now, you would wonder how it was any different to any other game on that generation of computers at all. But somehow at the time, something about it, maybe not the first game, but certainly by the time you got to Fantasy World Dizzy and people were talking to each other saying, you know, oi, Dizzy. And you know, there was, a, there was an, a rolling dialogue and a sense of the kind of patter that they were talking in. There was something as well about the world that they inhabited, the worlds, I should say, that they inhabited, that did seem a cut above a lot of the other games that were coming out that felt a bit representative, felt a bit like you get this, right? You, you know what you're supposed to be looking at, whereas in Dizzy, you just were there, and you just were walking around in this world and interacting with it. And it just managed to do that in a level that was a little bit um, above other things that were coming out at the same time, so much that it made it a contender for... Well, I would say now, looking back, I think it was the Spectrum's Sonic or Mario. I think it was the mascot character that ended up being emblematic of certainly the Spectrum. I don't know if it had that success on any other machines. That is more or less the context in which we get to Fantastic Dizzy, which was Codemasters and not the Oliver Twins anymore. They've left by this time. I think it's a, I think it was a com company called Big Red who were making them by then. 
Big Red Software. That exists. Are they the ones I'm thinking of? I think so. And they had taken the, the Dizzy formula in a logical direction. They'd made it more expressive, adding more frames of animation and things like that. But not many. They hardly changed anything from, you know, say, Fantasy World Dizzy. That was the template that they went with, which is the third Dizzy game after Treasure Island, which is kind of the most remembered one. Codemasters made Fantastic Dizzy, which was itself a port of a game called Fantastic Adventures of Dizzy for the NES, which was itself an attempt at moving Dizzy into the console world. So they'd kind of, it was it was like a best of. And it was complicated by the fact that since the NES one had come out, some of the little mini games and little brief ideas that happen in that game had actually been released as their own standalone games on the Spectrum and so on. Just little mini games like the one where you're jumping up bubbles in the and the one where you're going down rapids in a barrel. So Fantastic Dizzy on the Mega Drive, and also Amiga, it felt like a victory lap. It felt like a final, here you go, here it all is, it's all in one cartridge, it's on the Mega Drive. As a result, it does have this legacy feel to it, and it feels really weird on the Mega Drive. It is nice to look at. I, I, I found it weird that they said it's got nice sound. I, I, it's got very, very basic sound. It's <laughs> the, the best way to do to compare, uh, to, to know what I mean by that, is by comparing the Mega Drive music with the Amiga music, which is the same tunes, but just night and day sound quality. It's like ridiculous. The Mega Drive loses out hard. Um, but it is nice to look at. But again, I mean, I think Sonic 3 came out around the same time or the next year or something like that. And it was just like night and day. It was so much better looking than Dizzy. Dizzy looks like a computer game trying to play on consoles. It's exactly what it was. Dizzy himself is weirdly small because, of course, he comes from the days when, you know, half the number of pixels meant twice the height of a sprite. He looks really weirdly short compared to the kind of sprites you'd expect on the Mega Drive. The gameplay is all about picking up objects and placing them in different places it's very slow it's very thinking-y on the console that has sonic 3 and sonic and knuckles coming out at the same time with all these action games it's it kind of doesn't fit in that way it feels like an outsider sonic has this wonderful somersault jump that's incredibly physics based and everyone knows exactly intuitively how to control it dizzy also somersaults and you never know what's going to happen until you're practiced at it unless you were a legacy dizzy fan like he would jump he would roll when he landed you never know when he was going to stop rolling down a flipping hill and so, yeah, I can well imagine that to people who weren't expecting it and weren't Dizzy fans, which is to say, most Mega Drive players, it just feels like an intrusion. It just feels like a very weird, weird thing to exist. So I can see why it would be badly reviewed. What we've kind of encountered during the review zone of Games Master is that there is a portion of the review team, and mm -hmm. I do include Dave Perry in this, and, and particularly Jazz Rignall, they don't overly like platform games mm. anyway. So I think if you kind of combine people who don't really like platform games, like I think it's in episode five, Sonic CD gets reviewed, and it gets absolutely slated because mm. their review of it, which we're, going, we're covering next week's episode, and basically the gist of it is it's the same game. It's exactly the yeah. same as Sonic 2. It's exactly the same as Sonic 1. Yeah, yeah, I would dispute um, yeah. that, but I'm, I'm just amused by it. <laughs> <laughs> you just like to watch our rage. <laughs> I wasn't a Mega Drive owner, and I've already no. kept myself warm on Luke's rage about the 65% score that Sonic 2 got in Games Master Magazine. <laughs> Saved on my winter heating bills. That is a surprise, I must admit. Um, but yeah. but the thing is, it was a time of scepticism about platform games because in those days, everyone was churning them out. I mean, one of the things yeah. that we are noticing in Sonic the Comic, the podcast at the moment, is that every few weeks, another Warner Brothers game comes out and it's like, 
you know, the Speedy Gonzalez game, the Sylvester and Tweety game. And you don't need games for them all. Why do we need all of yeah. these? You know, there's two Flintstones games. One for the Flintstones, one for the Flintstones movie. Just last week, we covered the Crazy Castle series of games. Mm. Is that the one that's di- something different depending on what country you're in? Yep, yes. you've got Mickey Mouse, <laughs> Bugs Bunny... In the game that we talked about, yeah. in America, it was the real Ghostbusters. Yeah. And in Europe, it was Garfield. And yeah. all of them were shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all very, very bad games. So, yeah, so I, I, I kind of see why the, the review here goes goes down the path that it does. Although mm. I do, you know, I appreciate that Brad, you know, it talks about how like it's the puzzles that separate it away from all other platforming yes. games and Frank O'Connor saying like you know what it's not that bad I no. think 75% seems like a, a fairly half decent oh, score it scores higher than Sonic 2 well, yes it does <laughs> yeah, magazine wise certainly yeah um, it's an interesting I've never been a dizzy player my first platforming experience is Sonic the Hedgehog like that was, oh, that was my thing really yeah so right. I mean I got my Mega Drive but the previous to that was we had a Commodore 64 but only had a handful yeah. of games for it and there was yeah. no platforming game so my platforming genesis if you'll pardon the pun is mm. Sonic. Whereas I grew up on the other side of the ZX80 divide, I was on the Amstrad CPC 464. Ah. So I was very much a Dizzy household. I had Dizzy and I loved Treasure ah. Island Dizzy. And I remember getting for my birthday or for Christmas the Dizzy big box that had all the different games in. <gasps> oh, yes. Oh, the Dizzy collection. That's the fella. Beautiful. You were talking about the development of Dizzy originally. It was actually mm. developed side by side for the Spectrum and the Amstrad because they're both based on the same processor. Oh, that explains it. Yes. So I, cost development was very easy. I admit I've always slightly objected to the uh, the early Amstrad Dizzies purely because for some reason that the graphics are technically better in that than, than the version I'm uh, used to on the Spectrum in that they're exactly the same except that Dizzy himself has quite good dithered shading on him whereas on the spectrum he's just a a flat you know coin of a man but for some reason they decided to color that shading in bright halloween green is that the amstrad version i'm thinking of it it looks very strange to me the amstrad version uh green shading and often red eyes yes oh golly that's that's (laughs) he is is a demon egg yeah despite being based on the same processor and despite essentially being Amstrad going, we've got all these components cheap. If we yes. solder them together in the right order, we've got a computer. The Amstrad <laughs> was actually really graphically competent. Yeah. I mean, it had borderline playable versions of Final Fight. Well, yeah. one of the things I want to say, this is a bit of an offshoot of the, uh, the the Dizzy chat that we're having here. But you just reminded me then, uh, Dave, when you were talking about, you know, the, the bedroom creators and stuff and sort of like uh, the, the British born designers that we as British gamers just absolutely loved. Yeah. And you've had a run in quite recently on Sonic the Coming the Podcast with Archer McLean. Archer McLean. Who <laughs> is a bit of a staple of Games Master. Yeah. Because he's been featured as a celebrity yeah. on Games Master in the Celebrity Challenge. <laughs> and it was really funny to listen to to you and Chris just be like why is this guy so revered he's got one game behind him do you know can you answer the question I guess they really liked him I guess they were just mates with him I, I think that he was mates with a lot of the people who worked in magazines I, I, I would have assumed and I did float that idea but uh, Chris does point out that some of his games have Archer McLean's as part of the title of the game and it's like that just comes as a surprise because you know when you have like Sid Meier's dot 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 you're like yeah well he's got a storied career behind him we look up Archer McLean and it's like he's got the game that his name is on now and then another one 
I never quite figured it out, but I think had I been there at the time really paying attention to Archer, I'm sure I would have uh, understood. But, uh, you know, I know who the Oliver Twins are and, and who are the Oliver Twins, you know? To round us out from this Fantastic Dizzy chat, uh, Davey, have you got, like, what's your overall memory uh, of the Fantastic Dizzy game, uh, particularly this Mega Drive version? I mean, I was a big Dizzy fan, and here was a big Dizzy game. It's very hard. I never finished it, and I would always die all the time, because it's one of these things, because, again, it's a British game with more than one foot, one and three quarters of a foot in the home computer days, and so it's fiendishly difficult. Just to get through a room, you're having to jump over rats, for instance, that are moving completely randomly and there's no way of gauging where they're going to be. But I did. I have this wonderful memory of sitting down with a school exercise book that I bought from a a teacher who let you do such things and a Parker Biro and writing my own guide to the game. And I'm like, you know, L, L, pick up, bucket, R, 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 down, (laughs) D, D, R, R. And not knowing what to do, I was just writing down all my steps as I went through the whole game trying to finish it. I got very far i had to leave the mega drive on for weeks and weeks and weeks doing this um so yeah i had a lot of fun with it i I liked it it never inspired me the way magic land dizzy did i think because i already trusted the mega drive to be able to break those, those sort of borders it never really struck me as that great but i was just happy it was there it was just the latest dizzy oh it came with a very good map that i enjoyed a lot how about you ash I've not really played the Mega Drive version. I have played the NES version, though. Ah. And I enjoyed it, but there is something about a Dizzy game that I think I need to have a keyboard in front of me. Even if I'm Mm. not using the keyboard, even if I'm using a joystick, there is something about the experience where I need a keyboard nearby and a more traditional joystick. Even playing it now under emulation, I need to be sat at a desk or at a table or, or somewhere with a keyboard. I've got the games on my little Chineseium handheld and and I could get the Retrocade collection that's just come out. Mm. But it wouldn't feel quite right. It's Mm. just there's something intrinsically tactile about that experience. And if you can play it with WASD and the kind of the classic keyboard controls, all the better. No, no, I reject that. It said an X, K and M and space and enter. (laughs) (laughs) Or Q and A and O and P, whichever your preferred one. Um, Yeah, it doesn't feel quite right on a controller, I agree. Not least because of the, you know, the the sort of the jump situation. You know, on a joystick, you actually pressed up to jump. Yeah. Of course, on the Mega Drive, they did some work to nativize it to those controls. But um, yeah, it's a different experience. I ought to finish off with a final piece of Dizzy uh, information just to sort of leave on, which is that about an hour and 45 minutes before we started talking, I was informed by my serious Disney co-host, Jahan, that the Oliver Twins have just announced that they've made a new Dizzy game. Have they really? On the Switch. Okay, I thought you were going to start talking about the Spectrum next, but say what? So did I when I started reading his tweet. He said, is this news to you? And I was like, well, it won't be. And I started reading it. It's like, (laughs) wait, what? The Switch? Switch is getting a brand new Dizzy game, and it was coded during lockdown. This is on NintendoLife.com. And all they've said, we're excited that a press release is coming out very soon. (laughs) Good. Glad you're excited about that sort of thing. Of our new Dizzy game that we wrote on Switch during the first lockdown. I suppose that doesn't necessarily mean that it's coming out for the Switch, but they wrote it on the Switch. The last few years of Oliver Twins announcing new Dizzy games news has made me suspicious that this is going to turn out to be Fantasy World Dizzy with a new title screen or something. But 
you never know. We might be about to get a new Dizzy game, in which case we can all have the whole argument all over again. <laughs> and do you know what? I hate to say it, even if it is just another Fantasy World Dizzy with a new title screen, still going to buy it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe, maybe it will cure my issue of playing Dizzy games on a controller. Maybe. But probably not. <laughs> Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, plug away. Uh, where can people find you? All right. I've got two podcasts. One of them is called Sonic the Comic, the podcast. It is a fortnightly look at the Sonic comics that used to be brought out here in the UK, not the American ones. And they used to have other Sega games in them in comic strip form. Like this, uh, one of the standout ones everyone likes is Mark Miller's Streets of Rage adaptation. That's a lot of fun. Um, all sorts of other things like that. We do one issue per episode, and also we go generally down the road of what it was like to be alive in that time, to be 11 years old in the UK in 1993, and sort of what, what that meant, what life was like. There's adverts and things. It's lovely. We talk about Woolworths quite a lot, and we eat fruit pastels. In fact, I've still got my pastels. Here they are right now. Uh, so I'm now eating a pastel as I tell you my other plug which is uh, a podcast called Serious Disney, which is where me and another friend to the one on Sonic the Comic the Podcast talk about Disney films specifically that weird project they've got going on where they will insist on remaking old films of theirs to what end we don't really know and we discuss it in depth we take each film and we really give it a chance we don't just dismiss it out of hand we really examine it find out if it is good or bad and then we properly get in depth about it but also as well as being serious it's quite funny um as is on the comic podcast so i think you're gonna have a fun time listening to either of those so they are sonic the comic the podcast and serious disney's I'm also on YouTube as Demon Tomato Dave and Twitter as Demon Tomato Dave and Twitch as Demon Tomato Dave. That, I think, is me. I think that is the things I do. Yes. We all like to switch on the box and goggle at a good movie, taking the latest sounds and even spend a little while on the old games console. Well, wouldn't it be great if we could find a machine that would do it all? And wouldn't it be even better if we could find one small enough to carry around? We saw Philips CDR on the show last week, but does the portable version match up? After this, I looked at the machine and thought, OK, this is a portable. But what's the LCD screen like? Well, from what I've seen, the graphics are really good. The actual sample speech and sound effects are very clear. There's no answer to a body like that, believe me. Compared to other CD machines, this is excellent. People can take it anywhere. Watch it in the train, watch it at home, watch it in bed. You can never get bored. The portable also connects to a full motion video module to create games that look like real life. But are they playable? Compliments of Mr. Hawk. Gameplay might need speeding up, but the images are looking good. Philips have just signed a deal with Paramount to produce 50 movies on CD. Using the controller, you can slow down or speed up or freeze frame your movie and have even more control of your viewing. In the future, games companies will send crews to movie sets to create CD games with you as part of the cast. But in the battle for viewing standard, CD's going to have to go something to kick VHS systems out of the home. It may be the shape of things to come, but at 1,300 quid, you better hang on to your cart and check your bank balance before you do anything too drastic. So for our feature this week, we've got Ravi Chopra from US Gold talking about the portable CDI. Because you might be thinking there, looking at home being like, man, my CDI is amazing and everything, but I do wish it was a portable version. Turns out, a portable version is already available, Ash. 
I mean, that's brilliant because then you can take it with you to show people the best graphics that you will ever see. Got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. This is why I thought this feature would be on last week's episodes because they had like the big CDI push there with the, the International Tennis Open. You'd also do the portable CDI feature in there as well. I'm guessing the reason it was put this week is because of timing, because last week's episode had some fairly involved challenges. There was more time this episode because our first challenge, at least, pretty quick. Spoilers, our second challenge isn't anything great to write home about. And our third nope. challenge is definitely over quickly. Yes, yeah, it really is. There's a lot of time that needs to be filled on this episode. And what better way to fill it than to show a ludicrously overpriced portable device that will probably skip every time the bus or the train goes over a bump and that the battery would not last the half an hour journey from Croydon to Victoria. I tell you what, the line that really sums up this, because this is, you know, this is a, a portable DVD player in a sense. And the line that Dex has when he says the CD will have to go some way to kick VHS out of their homes. Boy, howdy, is that ever true? Because that won't happen for another few years at this point. Essentially, while DVDs did come around in the late 90s, it wasn't until the early 2000s that VHS's days began to become numbered until DVD became ubiquitous and VHS was slowly being driven out. And in fact, realistically, VHS only survived in the home as long as it did because DVD recorders never took off quite as well. And we no. were a fair ways from DVRs or catch-up TV being a thing. Yes, and I think the, uh, the PlayStation 2 really helped that along as well. I think the PlayStation 2 was one of the gateways for most people's dvd collections starting up because really it was like the cheapest dvd option uh, at, at one point but you might be looking at this device and you might be asking what's the lcd screen like and ravi is impressed he's really impressed with how it looks and he bigs up how good the graphics look on it he also talks about the speech and sound effects and we hear something on that amazing looking tennis game that we didn't last week we hear the commentary which i'm mm. guessing they turned off in the challenge, because otherwise you've got commentators commentating over the top of commentary. Now, one of the things that goes with the CDI is the movies, because they're trying to push it as a movie platform. And you'd think, oh, great, I can watch movies on the go. Well, you can if you buy the add-on module, because this thing requires yes. an add-on module to play full motion video. And Dex points out that Philips have signed a deal with Paramount to produce 50 movies for the platform, which you can slow down, speed up or freeze frame. Cloud goes up, cloud goes down. <laughs> the fascinating part about that is they're talking about how, like, in future, games crews are going to be sent to movie sets to film specific scenes so that you can be put into that as part of the cast. Now, I don't know of many games or films that kind of get that treatment. I do know that Street Fighter, the movie, the game, did go out to film with them because they, you know, they wanted to digitize the actors and put them into the game. And what they ended up with was a lot of people's stunt doubles, uh, particularly Jean-Claude Van Damme. But I don't know of many other games that went out to film specific things for movies or, you know, on movie sets. Weirdly, the only other one I can think of has already happened, and that was Terminator 2, the arcade game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, again, yeah. that was stunt doubles, including Arnold's stunt double, uh, Linda Hamilton's stunt double, which was also her sister, and... The only original actors I think they got for that were Eddie Furlong and Robert Patrick, and that's because essentially they could afford them. Yeah, and they wanted to do it. 
Yeah. yeah. Robert Patrick was delirious about being involved. He was, <laughs> he was absolutely so blown. <laughs> but you know what? This still looks like a pretty good little package, Luke, and I could see this definitely being something I'd want. I hope it's affordable. Yeah, so it, it's 1,300 quid. Oh, get fucked. <laughs> In 1993 money as well. Just no. Just absolutely not. That's that's absolutely crazy. Using uh, an inflation calculator, the Bank of England inflation calculator, £1,300 in 1993 now is £2,668. So this is an expensive bit of kit. It's no real spoiler, as many of you will probably realise that the CDI did not do well. It was still muddling around there until the end of the decade, but it was pretty much a dead format. And this is despite, as we mentioned with Pack Attack earlier, it did attract some big name developers. And we talked about Nintendo. Nintendo licensed Zelda and Mario to the system, and they released three Zelda-based games. Well, one Link and two Zelda. Link, the Faces of Evil, Zelda, the Wand of Gamelon, and Zelda's Adventure. And you also had Hotel Mario. There were two other Mario titles in development, one of which was intended to actually be the full sequel to Super Mario World. Yeah, because the rum of that, five years ago or so now, that someone found the, the test footage for the full sequel to Super Mario World. Yeah, Super Mario's Wacky Worlds, I Wacky believe. Wacky Worlds, that's the one, yeah. Throughout its entire time, it only managed to amass 190 titles. It's, yeah... It's it's a paltry amount, and it's not the last multi-purpose format we're going to see come and go during this time frame, because one of my most desired systems until this day is also knocking on the door being held by Trip Hawkins. <laughs> yeah. We're going to talk more about the 3DO in the future. I know we will. Uh, but to round this off, Ravi throws a, a cartridge into the bin, but then when he hears the price, it comes all the way back to him. But to just buy what the cart was? Was it Road Rash 2? It was Mick and Mac Global Gladiators because of the uh, McDonald's sponsorship on the show. Ah. Basically, I wanted to add that in because this is my excuse to put uh, the McRock song uh, in the edit here. But it's now time for our celebrity challenge. Uh, let's find out what we're playing from the Games Master. Next up is the second round of my special Gladiators Clay Fighter Challenge. The game remains the same. The best of three rounds of zany beat-em-up action. But this time, I've chosen two different characters for our muscle-bound competence to play. First in the ring is Icky Bob Clay, a pumpkin-headed ghost with a sting in his tail. Facing him is Blob, a very flexible lump of clay who specialises in putting the boot in. The prize is a place in next week's grand final. So it's all to play for. I um I had to do a bit of a Google uh, when I was posting up episode three last week, whether or not this game is Clay Fighter, Clay Fighter, you know, with both words together, or as Dexter Fletcher keeps calling it, Clay Fighters. Because I suddenly thought to myself, I was like, I'm not actually sure which one it is, but it is Clay Fighter, one word, but with C and the F capitalised. I mean, I guess it's because they're going Street Fighter to Clay Fighter. But yeah, exactly. when you look at the game, Clay Fighters actually makes a bit more sense. Yeah, I wrote Clay Fighters quite a few times in my notes before I realised I'd made the error. I've just gone down my notes here just for this particular challenge and every single iteration of the name 
it says clay fighters as one word. <laughs> yeah. But we've got two new competitors. We've got two new characters. We've got Icky Bod Clay, a pumpkin-headed ghost, and we've got Blob, who is a blob. The blob. Yeah, he is the blob. But a shape-shifting blob. He is plasticine in its natural form. He's a fun character, though. Like, blob was the character that I'd always pick when uh, playing Clay Fighter at my cousin's house because he's the funniest one, man. When you go to kick someone, you turn into a boot. That's pretty funny, dude. Well, we talked about Clay Fighter last week a little bit, but the one thing that we didn't really get to talk about is that while the game probably doesn't hold up quite so well now uh, when you compare it to things like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat, it is the best of the Clay Fighter series because Judgment Clay... Although a fantastic pun, and that is a great name, isn't a great sequel, and Clay Fighter 63 and a third is a dogmat game. I only really remember the first two. I think despite being a Nintendo 64 owner, I avoided the third title. It's not great, man. And like, really the only reason to go back and play it now is the unlockable characters in it are Earthworm Jim and Boogerman. Like as a sort of curio of the time, it's quite fun. And like, it's got, you know, new voice tracks that were done for both characters. But that is pretty much the only reason to go back and play 63 and a third. So tonight is the second round of our Gladiator Championship. Please give a big hand for Colossal Cobra and his sexy opponent, Scorpio. Hey. Hey. Okay, okay, okay. Right, our second lot of Gladiators. Now, the Games Master's giving you the choice of a couple of characters. Have you made your decision which one you want to be? I'm going to be the blob. The blob. The blob. Yes, I'm sure. Um, um, Icky Bud Clay or Ick to his friends. Ick to his mates. That's absolutely right. They've got some special moves. You don't know what they are, do you? Uh, no, but... I'm I'm, you'll find out, don't I'm worry. I'm a bit worried, actually, because uh, we've had a practice. Yeah. And I'm not that good. And if I don't no, win don't any Don't say games, that. You're going to be fine. No, she's gonna. She'd never let it down. She would never ever let it down. In fact, if we were boxers, she'd be Mike Tyson and I'd be Julian Cleary. No, 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 no way. You're gonna do all right. Don't worry. It's gonna be best of three rounds. All right. And you say we've got new characters in clay fights. We've also got new contenders from Gladiators making their Games Master debut. It's Cobra and Scorpio. The latter of which Dex calls sexy. I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, by that definition, Cobra's also due to brick shit house. He's he's oh, built. Yeah. He's a proper Lex Luger-looking dude, is, is Cobra. Oh, he's way more charismatic than Lex Luger. Wash your <laughs> mouth out. <laughs> Cobra was one of the original gladiators. Uh, he's still rocking around today. Despite a few spots of ill health, he was hospitalised with pneumonia last year. Oof, that's rough. But he lives in the West Midlands. He spends his time visiting schools, promoting keeping fit... He considers watercolours amongst his hobbies, which, nothing against watercolours at all, I just look at Cobra and the sort of character he is, and it would be like telling me that Pat Sharp likes stamp collecting. I would accept <laughs> it, but I wouldn't necessarily believe it. But speaking of Pat Sharp, Cobra was part of a big promotional push to encourage kids to get bank accounts with Nat West. Yeah, was really... Yeah, he, he didn't just like go on TV and talk about it. He was doing the school promotional circuit. But he had a background as an amateur boxer, a kickboxer, a bodybuilder. From that and from putting on the muscle required, he entered his first bodybuilding competition. And the one thing that separated him from a lot of his competition, and this comes across in Gladiators and here, he doesn't take himself seriously. He's a clown. Yeah. He's a joker. He's there to have some fun. 
He treats life as a lot of fun. Unfortunately, he did have a bit of a drinking problem. He didn't have some of the worst problems of the Gladiators, but he did turn up to film Gladiators multiple times drunk and almost got fired for it. So Oof. he lived the party life a little bit too much. But other than the jokes, he was well known for the kicks and the splits upon entering the arena. And he was apparently, apart from the drinking, pretty well regarded backstage. He was very much the class clown. He kept the mood light. He entertained the crowd, the challengers, the other gladiators. Everything I've read seems to indicate that he was well-liked, and it certainly comes across in this. Yet Scorpio is not one that I particularly remember. I don't know what it is, but it's just like she... There are... Of the sort of gladiators I remember, you know, Jet and Lightning obviously instantly spring to mind, but Scorpio is not one that I particularly can recall. I think she's wonderful on this challenge, though. I think she's really, really nice on this. She started with modelling as a teenager. She went up through various bodybuilding competitions. She also entered as a contestant on Miss World. She was very comfortable being in front of the being in front of the camera by this point because she'd been in a number of roles. She was in Nuns on the Run. Do you remember Nuns oh, on cool. the Run? Yeah, 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 yeah. Robbie Coltrane and Eric Idle. She was also in the meaning of life she had a brief role in the meaning of life i think she was in the heaven scene where they've got right. all the christmas in heaven dancers i would have to go and check yeah. it out but as well as being comfortable in front of a camera she was also comfortable in the arena she had a number of specialist events in gladiators she was very good at the wall she was very good at powerball and hang tough she wasn't one of the top hang toughers but she was certainly up there she had amazing upper body strength so anything that required grip or climbing, she was going to be good at. After Gladiators, she did pursue a career in TV. She was on Watchdog hmm. as a roving reporter, and she also made a children's television show with Peter Duncan called Demolition Dad. No recollection of that whatsoever. Me neither. I'm literally reading this off her bio. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that, you know, Cobra's a bit of a joker and a bit of a japester. He's got some lines here. He's got some lines that he's sort of prepared that he's going to use when he goes out there, because... He's played the game in practice, playing the game all day, and he's not that good at it. And if this was an actual boxing fight, Scorpio would be Mike Tyson, and he'd be Julian Clary. Yeah, not a joke that's aged that well, but did make me not think... really, no. But did make me think of Julian Clary, who was, at this point, the most overtly out homosexual on television. Mm-hmm and just seemed to get away with it most of the time without catching too much ire. Apart from that time that he said he'd just been backstage fisting Norman Lamont. <laughs> Good to see you. How's it hanging? Oh, very well, thank you. <laughs> very nice of you to recreate hamster teeth for me here. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, uh... I've just been fisting Norman Lamont. That was at the National Comedy Awards. And amazingly, they didn't catch it on the tape delay. But oh my God, that caused a letter writing campaign. You can bet the Daily Mail were furious. I remember hearing that joke as a teenager. I wasn't entirely sure what fisting was, but I had an idea and I thought it was hilarious. Okay, so if you want to see the gladiators battling out on clay fighters, you better stay tuned. <laughs> Even when you're having a good time, your skin can be having a hard time. But now, thanks to Nivea Visage, it needn't show. Our new Energizing Vitality Cream, with its unique Nanosphere Complex, carries active ingredients that work to moisturize your skin, enhancing its look of natural vitality. So you're at your best, 
wherever you go for a spin. New Energizing Vitality Cream. Naturally beautiful face care from Nivea Visage. How can we talk a teenager into getting our live cash account? Probably about 100 quid would do quite nicely at the moment. 5,000 pound cash now. Helicopter! The money! Oh, yes. It's a rude of all evil. A kicking pair of trainers. You can bribe me with a lot of things, but not money. I dream about having a Harley. I just want to rave all night. Come on, be reasonable. Just sign up for a Midland Live Cash account and you can save up to £10 on the most popular computer games around. Yes, yes we're Midland, the listening bank. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now you get a free dinosaur with every pack of 80 PG tips. Free dinosaurs? And the rate to collect. and Scorpio battling out on Clay Fighters. It's going to be the best of three rounds. With me in the commentary box, I've got Steve Carsey and Old Face. So, Steve, Clay Fighters, we've seen it before. But who do you fancy for tonight's well, challenge? I don't want to get on the wrong side of Cobra, but my money's on Scorpio tonight. Right, I see. So what's some of the special moves they can look out well, for? Well, I mean, Scorpio's playing Icky Bod Clay, who's yeah. a very elusive character, very fast around the screen. Quite ugly as well. Very ugly, yeah. Mm. Um, so really, I think she's going to get the better of the blob in the long run. Back from the ad break, and Steve Carsey is in the booth because, I mean, he's here for all of the gladiators stuff. You know what else is here in addition to Steve Carsey? Those f***ing cups again. Those f***ing cups, yeah. Oh, God, that's an absolute nightmare, those things. I get the feeling they filmed this right at the beginning of the filming sessions, and once they were done, they went, right, take the cups away from the kids. We are not doing this shit again, because thus far, I only remember hearing them in the Gladiators Challenge. Oh, yeah, it's just in this one filming block, but they are annoying as f***, man. But the characters enter, and the fight begins, and in difference to Shadow versus Falcon, 
these two get into it right away. It's not a graceful fight. There aren't a lot of special moves, but they are just walloping each other. They're just going in for it. And there's no blocking. There's no real tactics. They're just going for a straight out slugfest. And it kind of makes it more entertaining because there's less flailing at air and more just twatting each other. Yeah, I think that Scorpio has got the upper hand here quite handedly so because she has realized that Ichibod Clay's low kick has got an incredible reach on it. And that means that she can hit the blob, she can hit Cobra from some fair distance. And she can just do that over and over again, because as you say, Cobra's not blocking. So there's almost no defense to it. So it is like she handedly wins both rounds, I feel. thing I loved about Cobra is he did that thing that a lot of less experienced gamers do, which is when you're really, really trying, (laughs) you start to lift the control off and you're kind of twisting your body as if it's actually going to make any difference to the button input. This is not the Switch Controller Pro. There are no gyros inside this thing. It's not going to do any good. But to be honest, he was performing. It was great. It was fun. While we didn't see any special moves, I think this was a better fight than the first one. This was more fun. Yeah, because last week you could tell that they were both attempting to do special moves. And at one point here, I thought Scorpio was attempting to do a special move. But really, it was just her using that kick over and over again because she realized it was the most effective thing for her to do. But I love the fact that Cobra laughs. Like when he gets beaten in the first round, they just cut to him. And he's just just like, you know, just laughing himself because he's like, this is very, very silly, but I'm having a good time. And then he proper sells, you know, how gutted he is when uh, uh, Scorpio absolutely dominates and, and wins the second round. And then in the post-match, he just goes, yeah, she hit me before I even got going. So you basically got smashed to pieces in two rounds. Yes, you could say that. Um, she hit me before I even got going. Yeah, was, she hit you before you even got up. I was about as fast as a paraplegic tortoise. Yeah, you weren't that quick even. No, I don't think I was. Bit of a win, but don't worry about it. Go. So you won as well, eh? I did. Pleased about that? Definitely not. I'm going to take Shadow on. That's right. You're going to be beating Shadow in the final next week, yeah? For a big showdown on Clay Fighters. Yeah, he describes himself as being as fast as a paraplegic tortoise. He is someone who is clearly a fan of Blackadder. Yeah, and ready for his turn in Panto. <laughs> uh, and Scorpio's excited to take on Shadow next week. I, I, I enjoyed that, dude. I thought that was pretty good. It was definitely a pickup from the last one. The last one was fun because it was the Gladiators and because it was Shadow as the returning champion and because it was Falcon who's just lovely. This one was proper comedy and fun and two and two people who, while not being the best gamers, were having a good time. And yeah, it sets up the final for next week. Hello, welcome to my own personal benefit office. Who's our first claimant? Games Master, is there a shortcut on Mr. Nuts for the Super Nintendo? Actually, there is. On the first level, you will come across a broken tree stump. Jump up next to it, holding up on the control pad. You'll be able to enter the stump and take a different, shorter route to the end. Great, thanks. A pity you didn't know that earlier on, eh? And Tom from earlier in the show is back in the consultation zone looking for a shortcut on Mr. Nuts, which really made me think of last week's episode, you know, with uh, Darren taking that shortcut on uh, James Pond Crazy Sports. Like, I wonder if they set up Mr. Nuts thinking that someone would take this shortcut to get through to the end of the level. But Games Master tells you what you need to do and then says that you probably would have done better with that knowledge earlier on in the show. It's also, I think, the first time that we've had 
a competitor appear in the consultation zone. We talked about where it should have happened before, but yes. this time it actually happened. So that means that they either called him back in or they just dragged him into another room and went, here, say this, try not to call him stupid. Well, I, I do think it might be the second part of that, or your, your second hypothesis there, because Games Master has this line to me, you know, like in last week's episode when he was a bit of a flirt with that lady where she comes in and he's like, oh, I say, and she gives a bit of like a, oh, you, a reaction shot because, you know, the director said, can you do this reaction shot? They don't have a reaction shot for Tom when Games Master says, you could have done with that advice earlier in the show. It just cuts back to him and he's got the exact same expression he had when he asked the question. And it's really weird because there should be a reaction shot there from him, but there isn't. And he just disappears. I'm having trouble on Zelda for the Game Boy. How do I get to the genie at the end of level two? Oh, hold on. I'll just adjust my view. Well, you must be orderly about this. Get to the room that tells you about the key. Don't go around killing enemies willy-nilly. They need to be in a set pattern. Rabbit, bat, Stalfoss. The key will then appear, allowing you to open the door at the end of the level, and then you'll be able to face the genie. Good luck. Oh, great, thanks, Brill. But our next chap is having trouble on Zelda Link's Awakening and the Games Master is having trouble seeing the chap. He has to adjust his view. Yeah, this is the first time we've had this in Series 3 where we've done a little bit of Games Master bantering, I suppose, where, yeah, this kid is basically just like his little forehead and Games Master's like, oh, I do say, I can't quite see you. And just adjust and the kid moves up to, to get his hint. It's, it's the first time we've seen it, and it got a bit of a chuckle out of me. I like it when we get these extra bits, be it flirting with Auntie Marisha, be it shooting seagulls, or bits of the set falling off, or just being dismissive of the kids. It's fun. It's added value. It's universe building. Now, I think we've talked about Link's Awakening before. I think we've actually talked about it in a lot of depth. I think we talked about it a lot when it was released, because I think it came out during what? I think it came out during Series 2. So I think we did talk about it at length there, but man, what a fun little game it is. And a, a fascinating game as well, because, you know, this was it was a, a pet project of someone really who wants to make a Zelda game. It's, it's the most un-Zelda-like Zelda game because it features a lot of like, you know, cameos from other Mario characters. Yoshi appears in the game, the Chain Chomps are in the game. But i probably say, but because it was the portable one, it's the Zelda game I've put the most hours into. And I do, I, I'd probably go on a limb and say it's my favourite Zelda game, particularly of this era. I think I'm still going to have to go with The Link to the Past. There's something mm -hmm. about that game that just, because it maybe because it was the one I played before, but also because there was kind of time travel involved. I'm a sucker yeah, for yeah. time travel. That's <laughs> what it is. It's the Doctor Who connection. One of the things I really like about Link's Awakening and sort of like the world building of it, because spoilers if you've not played the game or you know, you've not played the, the re-release that it got on the Switch and everything, this is all a dream. This is all in um, Link's head. His boat crashes and he finds himself upon this island with a, a giant egg up on top of it. And the game is about you going through to wake this creature that will help you wake up yourself. And what is really interesting is you don't know that that's the case when you're playing the game until you get to the end, really. But the character of, of Marin kind of drops all these hints in there. And Marin is aware that she is a construct of Link's dream, which adds this whole new layer and depth to the game and sort of the world that you're in. 
I just I find Link's Awakening such a fascinating and interesting Zelda game. Well, uh, yeah, you're you're right that like Link to the Past is probably you know it is the better game really. But I find sort of like the wackiness and sort of the oddball nature of Link's Awakening really, really, um, really attractive, and it just it makes me want to pick it up and play it again and again and kind of go back to it. Plus. It's got all those weird, like, 2D sections to it where you're basically playing Mario for a bit. Like, you know, uh, White from SimCity is in the game. It's just, it's a bizarre, bizarre little thing. I mean, after the first two Zelda games on the NES, it reinvented itself for the SNES. It then reinvented itself for the Game Boy. And of the prime Nintendo franchises, I would say it's the one that most consistently delivers while reinventing itself all the time because you then look where we go from here we go to ocarina of time which let's just take that title ocarina of time we're back to time travel but also a bloody nose flute is kind of key and the actual playing of it is key to the entire game and then we have majora's mask then we move to the gamecube and the wind waker where you pilot a bloody boat about i love that Zelda, of all the titles, is the one that will go, we're going to do something different as often as possible. We're going to give you different worlds, different realities. Sometimes they'll be connected, sometimes they won't, but you know you're going to get an adventure. I love that. I think if I play a Mario game, I know what I'm getting. If I play a Zelda game, I'm ready to be surprised. Yeah, I think there's a reason why... I, I don't have many tattoos. I you know, don't particularly have any like video game tattoos, but the one video game tattoo I do have is one from The Legend of Zelda because it's, yeah, like it, it's a game that constantly reinvents itself. I think it was very, you know, people dog on Zelda 2 quite a lot because it's not like any of the other Zelda games, but that was kind of the point. It wasn't trying to be like all the other Zelda games. It wasn't trying to be like the first Zelda game. It was trying to be different. And I, I you know, whenever they announce that there's a new Zelda game coming out, I'm always intrigued to see what the next thing they're going to do with this franchise is. But anyway, yeah, this is uh, in the second dungeon that you go into when you're trying to get to the genie. Um, you get to see a bit of the side-scrolling uh, in this section here, but you kill the Pole's voice, the bat, and the staff boss in that order. The nightmare key appears, so now you can go get to the boss. Okay, great. Thanks, Brill. Thanks, Master. I'm a bit sad at playing Cool Spot on the Mega Drive. Can you help me at all, please? Of course I can. Pause the game, and then press A, B, C, B, A, C, twice. This will magically transport you to the end of the level and make you invincible too. If you can't get through now, you're beyond even my powers. Thank you. But I tell you what, no sooner as this kid said thanks than we get the next kid cutting in because he's stuck on Cool Spot and I can understand him because I've played Cool Spot, I've played it on stream for people and this game is an asshole at times. Yeah, it's a tough old game. Like I never had Cool Spot. I borrowed it off a friend once though and I remember playing it on a Friday night and getting you know doing i want to say fairly well on the game because it is nailed it's one of those games that's frustrating so there's a lot of climbing up and then you fall down you've got to go you know start from the bottom and climb all the way back up again but i remember doing fairly well on it and i didn't know this code if i had this would have saved me a lot of time but i you know paused it and then i went to bed i got up in the morning unpaused it played it a little bit more but i was going on a trip that weekend to go see my nan and my nan and granddad, they, um, you know, all my family, in fact, live up in the north, live up um, near Liverpool, which is a three and a half hour drive. So very early in the start, we had to go. 
But man, I just wanted to play Cool Spot. So I remember pausing the game again, turning my TV off, and the entire car ride there, the three and a half hour drive, thinking to myself, I hope something bad doesn't happen. Because I, what I've done is I've left a Mega Drive on all weekend because I'm not going to get back until Sunday evening where I can turn this thing back on. And it's been on since Friday night. And I remember thinking of how hot that the big pack, the big plug pack that a Mega Drive thing can mm-hmm. get if you just play it for a couple of hours, how hot that would get if you've left it on for 72 hours. As it turns out, when I got back, the game had just resetted itself. So actually, I didn't get to do anything. I didn't, I didn't, nothing was accomplished. But on the plus side... The power pack didn't melt and you didn't burn the house down because of a 7-up tie-in game. Yeah, and you mentioned the fact that it's a 7-up tie-in game, which I don't think I would have been aware of until much later on in life because Cool Spot wasn't our 7-up mascot. We, of course, had Fido Dido. Who I think also got his own video game. It didn't get released. Uh, there was a Fido Dido game that was made. ROMs obviously have existed it online, and I watched a playthrough of it uh, before we recorded this, and it looks like it's a pretty standard platforming stuff. It doesn't look like it's a particularly great one, but that might just be because it's an incomplete ROM build. Well, while that one didn't get released, others did, because in addition to Cool Spot, we also got Chester Cheeto. Yeah. And, more in America this one, the Noid. Like, we, not only were all the companies trying to have their own mascots, other companies that had pre-existing mascots were like, we're also going to get into this video game business to sell our merchandise. And then there was McDonald's. But we've, we've kind of already covered that one. And yeah. I'm sure we will again. I think it's outrageous that this could be released as a game. But it did have a sequel as well, Cool Spot Goes to Hollywood, which was released for the Mega Drive in 95, but also had ports for the Saturn and PlayStation which in themselves had completely redone graphics. So they didn't just straight port up a Mega Drive game, probably for the best. I doubt that would have gone down too well at the time. It's frustrating, but I tell you what, it's that era of Virgin Games. It moves and looks beautiful. Looks really cool. Like, I think it still looks amazing now. It's got silky smooth animation, but as you mentioned, that bit where you're just climbing up the level and one mistimed jump and you fall (sighs) all the way down... Playing it offline is frustrating. Playing it on a stream was a mistake. Oh, God, it's so annoying. So, so frustrating. That is a proper, like, as you, when you've fallen down for the fifth time. <laughs> yeah, and I'm trying to play the game, and I'm trying to chat with people in the chat, and I'm trying, like, yeah, that's really cool. Fuck. <laughs> but I wish I'd known about this cheat, because the Games Master has just the thing for this kid that's stuck on Cool Spot. If you pause the game and press ABCBAC twice, you'll be transported to the end of the level and you'll be made invincible. Mate, that is, that's how the way, you get all the way to the end of the game with that. Mate, I should have speedrun it on that stream. <laughs> if I'd have had that cheat, I'd have gone, boom, we're going to speedrun Cool Spot. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, I mean, and I don't know if this is a particularly controversial statement to make, but uh, I think Fido Dido is a way cooler mascot for a drinks company than Cool Spot ever could be. I don't know. I always thought he looked kind of like a monochromatic Doug Extra. Uh, yeah, I, I get that. I get that. I, th- I always thought Fido Dido was wicked. I remember I had a T-shirt with Fido Dido on it. I remember him, but not as that much of a kind of, I guess, icon. I don't know mm. why. I guess I didn't drink a lot of 7-Up. 
It could be. I mean, I'm a Seven Up drinker. Yeah, when we were a kid, we used to go to the community center, which actually had a uh, golden axe on arcade uh, in like a little cubby hole thing. Um, and my parents would obviously get me a drink. I'd always have Seven Up over uh, Coke. I've always been a Seven Up drinker. My wife thinks it's weird because she doesn't really like lemonade that much. But yeah, I will always order lemonade. And if I can get Seven Up, that'd be my preferred option. Ah, see, I'm an R White's lemonade drinker. Oh, are you now? Yeah, secret R White's <laughs> lemonade drinker. <laughs> Anyway, that's enough chat about 7-Up and Cool Spot and Fido Dido. We have got another challenge to do. It's our final challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Our final game tonight is Muhammad Ali's Boxing on the Megabyte. This game requires subtlety, tactics, and a gentle persuasion. <laughs> Only joking. Your best bet is to slug it out until your opponent collapses. Or, failing a knockout, the greatest number of punches landed wins. Two rounds of a minute each should be enough to sort out our contestants. Second out. It's Muhammad Ali's heavyweight boxing. If you're thinking to yourself, that's been mentioned on this show before, you'd be right because it got reviewed in episode 19 of series two where Peter Beveridge said, Boxing is a very difficult sport to simulate and this game shows it. The graphics are quite nice, although the animation is a bit naff. There is very little variety of opponents and we just tap away really, boxing away. It's about as much fun to play with as a box of used tissues. The graphics are rubbish, the controls are uncontrollable, and the sound's quite awful. It's just avoid it like the plague. 57%. Perfect fodder for the final challenge of an episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Which is why I think I mentioned this last week. This felt like it was, I don't know, maybe they'd asked, they'd been asked to, to push this game or, you know, have this game featured as one of the challenges. Because if, if Games Master themselves have gone like, this game is absolute tosh. I don't know why they'd want to feature it as a potential challenge when there are just better games that you could have featured in this spot. You were the fastest, weren't you? So, how do you fancy your chances then, Amber? I'm confident. You're confident? Yeah. That's because you've got all your family with you? Yeah! All right, you're right, OK. Could you bring a quiet member of your family? No? There isn't a quiet member of my family. Oh, that's good. That's all right then. So, Alistair, how do you fancy your chances? Well, I won the first round. There's no reason why I shouldn't win the second. Aha! So, Muhammad Ali Boxing. Do you know the game? Yeah, I do. You do? Yeah. Fancy your chances? Yeah, I'm pretty confident. You are? Yeah. Good stuff. What about you, Alistair? Yeah, I think I'm going to win. Yeah, you do. What characters have you chosen? Mohammed. Mohammed? Okay, you've got Mohammed against? Bart Rambler. Bart Rambler? Yeah. Why have you chosen him? Because he's a bit more powerful than Mohammed Ali, I think. Oh, you think so? Well, we're going to find out in your challenge, aren't we? But our competitors are still fairly enthusiastic about it. Amber's pretty confident with her family behind her. Dex does say that she could have bought a quiet member of her family, and she says there aren't any quiet members of her family. Fair. Yeah, fair. Yeah, I get that. Alistair says that as he won the first round, there's no reason he shouldn't win the second. I mean, he was the better player in the first round. But also, he's setting himself up for a fall. Oh, and I wonder if... I mean, do, we don't know if this is another, like, double taping scenario where they tape it and tape it and tape it until she wins. But she handedly wins this, spoilers. Yeah, because going into the game, Amber knows the game. Alistair still thinks he's going to win. Amber has chosen Muhammad Ali, which is the sensible choice. Absolutely. And Alistair has chosen Bart Rambler, because he thinks he's a bit more powerful than Ali. Seriously, you think they're going to put a playable character in there more powerful than Muhammad Ali, whose name is on the box and whose voice 
is in the game. Welcome again, please, if you will, Dave Perry. Right. How you doing, Dave? Okay, we've got Muhammad Ali boxing on. There's a few boxing games on the market, but this one's a bit different from the rest. Do you want to tell us something about it? Well, in the words of the great man, this is the greatest. Um, basically, the, the graphics are great, the sound's great. You've got 360 rotation around the boxes, so you can see they're full figures all the time, but you feel like you're in there having a really good scrap. Okay, but uh, the scoring system's a bit different on this game than it is from others. Do you want to tell us a bit about that it as is, well? yeah. The main thing to look out for in this game is the number of hits you get in on your opponent. Right. And in the bottom corners of the screen, you'll see both fighters number of punches landed, and that's what's going to win the fight. Right, that's what we'll be looking out for, the number of punches landed, or if the opponent gets knocked out as well. But while Alistair basks in his delusions, Dave Perry is joining Dexter in the commentary box, and he says the game's a bit different from the others on the market. Yeah, it got shit review scores for a start. <laughs> exactly, it's fucking garbage. But he says the graphics are great, the sound's great, and you've got 360-degree rotation around the boxes. It's about as much fun to play with as a box of used tissues. You feel like you're really there having a good scrap. Hmm. Key to this here is that they talk about, you know, it's two one minute rounds. There might be a knockdown, there might be a knockout, but this game also does count your blows. So if it comes down to it, they'll just take whoever gets the most blows. So, in a nutshell, Amber absolutely smashes Alistair up to bits. Not only does she land all of the punches, she just completely decimates him. Alistair only makes it through round one because he's saved by the bell. Yeah, in round one, Alistair lands four hits. Amber lands 27. Holy it's such a one-sided fight. And then we get into round two. Alistair manages to land a few more hits, but Amber continues to pummel him into the ground, causing serious brain damage. And at the end of it, it's 54 hits to 10. Yeah. A knockout would have been less cruel. Yeah, Alistair, like, he can't land anything. He can't even get started because Amber is smashing the buttons way faster than he is. She is just throwing and throwing and throwing and throwing. So all he can do is get hit in the face. And he falls down, he gets back up. He falls down, tries to get back up, falls down, knockout. It is. Yeah, ludicrously one-sided in all of this. I was amazed he got into double figures with those hits. Just. Okay, good stuff. Well done. Uh, well, not well done to you. You got knocked to the canvas twice. What happened, Alistair? I think I chose the wrong character. Maybe a bit more speed. Maybe yeah. I've done it. Well, sure. Look out. You chose the wrong character, as you said. Now, Amber, the champion. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Okay, okay. Amber, Amber. Amber, you must bring your family next time. Very well done. Very well done. Are you happy about that? Yep. Please, you surprised yep. you won? Yeah, I chose the right character. I chose the right character, absolutely you did. But post-match, Alistair thinks he chose the wrong character. No sh- <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, absolutely, that was your mistake. Amber is a champion. Dex thinks she mustn't bring her family with her next time, but she's pleased she won and says she chose the right character. No sh- No sh- <laughs> She gets the golden joystick and bragging rights. She genuinely looks so happy. When she realises she's won, she is ecstatic. When she gets the joystick, she's ecstatic. This is the happiest I've seen a kid to receive a joystick thus far on season three. She's just so, so happy. It's great. I am amazed that Alistair avoids the furnace. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Because that was balls. Yeah, that he was did a not terrible performance. I'm not punching down on kids on this one. I'm just saying that that was abysmal. 
Yeah, and I think there's only so much you can put the blame on the game being sh- like at some point it's just as well that kid wasn't particularly great at playing it either i you know the, the game being rubbish certainly doesn't help so we've come to the end of this week's edition of games master and our champion amber grig would do well to heed the advice of the immortal rocky balboa float like a butterfly sting like a bee end up with brain damage indefinitely and to throw us out dexter fletcher gives us our final line of the night our final quote of the night which apparently comes from rocky float like a butterfly sting like a bee end up with brain damage indefinitely. <laughs> concussions Ooh. are fun, kids. Yeah, concussions are fucking hilarious, aren't they? And that is it. That's episode four. This was a much better episode than episode three. Even when the challenges weren't great, they were fun. Let's start at the back and work our way forward. That last challenge, Alistair was terrible. But Amber was great. And I never have enjoyed seeing a squash match so much on <laughs> Games Master of just literally stop, stop, he's already dead. <laughs> it was, And because she clearly really wanted to win. So I just, I loved that challenge. The consultation zone, a lot of fun. We saw three really good games there and we had a tie back to the opening challenge. First time that's happened. Celebrity challenge, so-so fight, at least they got straight into it. But Cobra and Scorpio, really charismatic gladiators. The reviews, leaving Dizzy aside, because <laughs> we talked with Dave about that, and that's going to be a bone of contention. I mean, I'm I'm with Dave. Mm-hmm. Bulmer, that is, not Perry. <laughs> it's always good to preface that you're, you're, you're team Bulmer, not team Perry. Yeah, definitely. I'm... I'm Team Egg, not Team Games Animal. <laughs> but the other game reviews, Lamborghini Challenge, what a great game. Pack Attack, while not the most astounding game technologically, certainly one that had a lasting impact. And then moving back to the opening challenges, a kid telling Dexter Fletcher to shut up, Dexter Fletcher picking a fight with the kid. This was a really fun, brisk episode. Not the best games players, but very entertaining. Yeah, I thought the kids were much nicer on this one that we've seen in previous episodes of Series 3. And I that actually didn't dear me more to the episode than perhaps it probably should do, because I don't think the games on it were great. Mr. Nuts is perfectly fine, but Muhammad Ali's boxing, it is just mashing buttons. And I think that would be fine had we not seen just mashing buttons in the Clay Fighter Challenge that came before it either. So... I I did enjoy this episode. I didn't love this episode, uh, unfortunately, though. I thought the consultation zone was fun, particularly because we got to see Link's Awakening in there and Cool Spot, and it you know brought back quite a lot of nostalgic memories for me. But outside of the Mr. Nuts challenge, I didn't love a lot about it. But what I did love about it were the people that were featured on it. And that I very much enjoyed. And like you say, it was a brisk watch. I, I, I had a fun time with it. I am going to go higher than last week, which I believe was 78%, but I'm not going to go much higher. I'm going to 80% for this episode. I'm going a bit higher than that. I'm going to go to 86. Oh, that is a bit higher. It's also not around zero or five because we <laughs> do tend to go towards the zeros and five. So I thought, you know what? It is definitely an 85, but I'm going to give it an extra one. <laughs> just to be a bit different. So yeah, an 86% for me. 
And it's always good to give an extra one. But that's all the time we've got for on this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console. And you can email us any feedback that you've got at feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to give us some real-time feedback, have a bit of interaction, talk about at the moment Ninja Turtles and Sonic <laughs> the Hedgehog and God knows what else is going on in there. My phone keeps going off with more notifications of chat messages coming in. You can join us on our Discord. Links are on our social media pages, our website, and in the podcast notes. We're still not sure what we're doing, but we've got a great group of people there that also don't know what they're doing. So come and join us, and maybe you won't know what you're doing either. It's a grand old time. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where if you back us at the five pound level, you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad free. But if you want to go a little bit higher to that 10 pound level, you'll get an extra bonus merch pack. Ash, why don't you tell us what's involved? Oh, in the merch pack, you get a mug, you get stickers, you get badges, you get Power Ranger cards, you get retro sweeters, you get a £5 discount off of our first Under Consultation t-shirt. And if you want to get that t-shirt or you want extra badges, stickers or mugs, you can get them all at underconsultation.com. Shout out to those £10 backers, Robert, Jamie, Matt, Phil, Simon, Nick, Sean, Adam, Cliff, Adam, Rich, Gordon, William and Misha. You all rule just as each and every single person listening to this show does. I've got to give a special thanks to Dave Bulmer from Sonic the Comic, the podcast and Serious Disney for dropping by to uh, our special Dizzy correspondent. Uh, it was awesome having him back on the show because we haven't had him on the show since way back in uh, the start of Series 2. I mean, you say dropping by, he literally invited himself on. <laughs> 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 Not that I'm complaining. It's always a pleasure to talk to another egghead. Absolutely. <laughs> that's that's the name now. That's what we are. We're eggheads, Luke. But that is going to do it for this week. We will see you in seven days' time with episode five of series three. Take care, everyone. Good night. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.